Welcome to SCI Science Perspectives, a podcast brought to you by the American Spinal Injury Association. In this podcast, we'll be discussing emerging literature spanning the full spectrum of SCI research, from discovery to clinical application. You're listening to a Scholarly Perspectives episode with Dr. Melina Langoni and Nishu Tiagi. I'm one of your hosts, David. And I'm your other host, Marla. And today we will be discussing the paper titled COVID-19 and Spinal Cord Injury and Disease, Results of an International Survey. This paper was published in 2021 in the Journal of Spinal Cord Series and Cases. Note that this paper is a follow-up to an inaugural survey about how STI professionals have responded to COVID-19 that was published in the same journal in 2020. This paper was suggested to us by Asia's Americas Committee. Our guest today are Melina and Nishu. Dr. Longoni is a physician specialist in physical medicine and rehabilitation, bariatric medicine, wound care, and an expert in natural therapies. She currently serves as medical director of Del Rey Rehabilitation Center in Argentina, scientific director to Braun Medical Argentina, PMNR chief at UNER Clinic in Spain, and president of AMLAR Res, the Latin American Rehabilitation Association for Residents. Nishu Chiagi is an occupational therapist and telerehabilitation specialist who currently serves as a consultant for the Directorate General of Health Services, Ministry of Health and Family Welfare, and Spinal Cord Society in the National Injury Prevention Program. She is also known for her extensive work in introducing the concept of telerehabilitation as community outreach and post-discharge service model in India. Welcome, Meli and Nishu. Thank you so much for this invitation. I'm really glad to be here with you today. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm great to be here. We are so excited to have you and both really excited to talk about this paper. So just to get us started, you know, what was really your team and your motivation um, or initial question in creating this study? Well, actually, when we started this, this paper that you're mentioning right now is like the second part of the first one that we did like a year before. And actually, we didn't know a lot of things about COVID-19. So uh, everything, we, we tried to get the information out there. And actually, we wanted to have the perspective from the rehab doctors, especially, and what was happening in rehab facilities uh, that had patients with uh, spinal cord injuries all over the world. So um, I was contacted with... Um, with uh, professionals as Dr. Steelman through Dr. Uh, Ale- uh, Dr. Alexander, Michael Alexander. So actually they, they told me about this uh, proposal and what they wanted to do, uh, this survey and have information about all these rehab facilities all over the world. So of course I said yes. And actually I proposed to do the same thing in Latin America. So I was the, in charge of the translation of the Spanish part. And actually, well, we had some really, really interesting data from that first survey. So we actually thought that uh, we wanted to see uh, what was going on as the the time went by and we got more information and we have physicians actually got more information and what happened after we we have more knowledge about uh, COVID-19. So that was like the main thing that we wanted to to know because everything was really crazy all over the world. We already know that. And all the facilities were working really different. 
and the impact was actually different in different countries, in low-income countries and middle and high-income countries, and everything was really different, and we didn't have information. So we wanted to see what was happening to to give some, actually to do something about it and do some, uh, to give people some tools on how to be prepared in this pandemic. Kameli, that's great. We would love to return to that topic of the differences between countries in their response, but right now let's loop us back around to the 2020 survey and some of the tools you mentioned. So one of the results from that study was a need to educate SCI care providers about COVID-19. So did the next survey, the 2021 survey, the paper we're talking about, did the results of that survey suggest that these educational needs were met? Well, actually we saw that um, we had a little bit more uh, online information and education uh, after COVID-19, of course. Uh, one of the things that we saw is that actually in low income uh, countries, such as Latin American countries, we already had these, these lectures, academic events through online because we don't have the, we, know, we cannot go to other conferences because we don't have the money and everything. So this was something that we used to do before COVID-19, but actually it was something that we start doing a little bit more and actually try to refocus all of our talks into and lectures into uh, doing something related to COVID in how to treat patients with COVID, how to detect patients with COVID, especially those patients with disabilities and all the difference that you could see from like the classic COVID in people with, without disabilities and people with spinal cord injuries. So actually we saw a lot of people eager Try to, to get this information because we didn't know what was happening and we needed to get the information. So I think, yeah, we had like th that difference between the, the first and the, and the second study that we saw that um, a lot of people got more information through online courses and lectures and everything that had to do with COVID. I also reading a little bit more in papers and everything that, that was coming out of, regarding uh, COVID-19. And actually the other thing that, that I wanted to say is that people, and I think Nishu have, has a little bit more insight in this, in this part is actually telemedicine because it was something that we didn't do much as physicians, uh, especially in Latin America. It, was some, it wasn't something that we, we were used to uh, doing and we, we actually had to start doing telemedicine because a lot of people, a lot of uh, facilities in Latin, actually, in Latin America actually shut down. And a lot of people that was having and getting uh, rehabilitation treatments actually has had to stop because they, they didn't get rehab at all. And some centers actually switch their, uh, their treatments from rehabilitation to clinical care. So a lot of us had to, to start doing a lot of telemedicine and we were not used to that. And that was something that we saw in the first and the difference that we saw in the first and the second paper as well, that we got a little bit more used to telemedicine. But I think that Anisha can give you a little bit more insight in this question. Can I come in with one comment there first? From the 2021 study, the results show that approximately 80%, so that's 80.3% of the respondents worked in an inpatient rehab facility and yet since COVID, 60.1% of them were using telemedicine. So that is a massive shift. Okay, Nishu, come on in. 
thank you. Uh, I do agree with Melly because when it concerned with the educations, definitely education uh, needs have been met. Uh, however, uh, there are very few concerns uh, that we have met during this pandemic because there is a lot of havoc going on. Everybody is uh, busy in uh, pandemic, but, but when it comes to the vulnerable population like SCI individuals, they are already already more vulnerable and they really need extra care because they are more associated with caregivers. They need uh, proper equipments. They need more facilities, one-to-one -one care. And this pandemic has really uh, impact their, not their physical uh, challenge, but they have also given the mental challenge. But yes, in India, we are doing a lot of telemedicine and thanks to that, because uh, our government has launched also launched the telemedicine guidelines timely, uh, which is uh, 25th March, 2020. And uh, we all professionals uh, are using uh, those telemedicine guidelines while providing uh, uh, telemedicine care to the patients and the caregivers even we are guiding the caregivers so when i talk to uh related to telemedicine about our practice we have seen that uh, because before pandemic we were trying to educate patients and their caregivers related to the use of telemedicine so that was the one very most important factor which really helped caregiver uh, i mean the care provider like us so that it will be easy for us to communicate with the concerned caregiver and the patient because uh, as you see there are a lot of internet users in asia and we would like to you know use all those uh, internet user in this uh, covid pandemic and uh, and with the help of telemedicine it truly really helped uh, us to meet all those challenges so we helped in the virtual education we helped in the uh, intervention uh, and the most uh, important intervention that we highlighted uh, is related to store and forward technology that is providing the videos related to education personal hygiene hand washing and even the mental stuff like dancing recreational activities so we are trying to expand all those intervention uh, to the patients so that we can help all those uh, people as much as possible thank you so this is an amazing shift that allows for care to be provided. And I've heard this across the board that this shift towards telemedicine is great, but the results of the 2021 survey show a concern about the repurposing of rehabilitation beds and spaces in clinics and the implications that upon return, those beds might now not go back. So can you guys comment on that a little bit? Yes, well, I can talk a little bit of, of what happened in Latin America. Actually, yeah, we had a lot of um, facilities actually, actually changing in, in their, their, their focus from rehab to clinical care. Actually, there was one of the, in one country, which is Costa Rica, the, the National Rehabilitation Center actually uh, shut down their, their doors for rehabilitation patients and switched to clinical patients. So the whole country didn't get, didn't have like a rehabilitation facility, national rehabilitation facility. So what happened with all those patients and um, there, the similar things happened in, in other uh, countries in Latin America with, when they have rehabilitation facilities in hospitals, actually all the all the people start, the professionals actually started working for clinical care. And as you know, 
um, many of the of the professionals actually got COVID or while they were working. So um, we had a lot of down people or people who couldn't go to work and also rehab professionals as well. So yeah, it was something that started like switching to clinical care and had a really big impact in rehabilitation. So uh, now we are starting to see all the patients and all of all the patients who didn't, who actually got spinal cord injuries during COVID-19 and didn't get rehabilitation uh, in those times as well, because it, it was not just the patients that actually had spinal cord injuries before uh, the pandemic was th that didn't get the, the treatment. Actually, the patients that actually got uh, spinal cord injuries during the pandemic didn't get the proper rehabilitation after that. So now, uh, yes, we're seeing that actually rehab facilities are starting to work again uh, a few months from now that a lot of facilities are starting working with rehab patients and, and switching again uh, these uh, beds to what they used to be because we don't have that many patients with COVID in uh, ICUs, for example. So uh, actually those beds are actually starting to be used for the initial use pre-pandemic. Can you comment briefly on what we can do to make sure that transition does happen? especially for the SCI professionals? Well, that's a very hard question. <laughs> Actually, we don't, we don't have that much data. We, we know this because we have, it's, it's more like an anecdotic data than actually have, having the data is that we have, we have a, a really big network of rehab doctors in all Latin America. So we know that this is going on, but we don't have like, the data for to say, yeah, this is going on. So a lot of rehab facilities actually are getting their patients again, or um, some of the rehab doctors were treating their patients through tele-rehabilitation. And as Nishu said, in Latin America as well, we had some protocols for tele-rehabilitation. A lot of societies got together. Actually, AMLAR, which is the society that gathers 21 uh, different countries and different society for physical medicine and rehabilitations actually did a manual on rehab for patients with, with COVID-19. And we actually, the America's Committee did the special chapters of uh, spinal cord injury treatment uh, in patients with, with COVID-19. So uh, we actually tried to give the tools uh, to the, actually the, the professionals, uh, to the ones that lead the teams uh, of rehabilitation in Latin America. So that's actually what we try to do. And we try to keep, uh, to keep in touch with everybody and, and try to help each other because that's the, that's the thing that we can do in Latin America. So we don't have that many resources, but we have all the contacts and we, we, are very, uh, we are very close and try to help each other because that's our realities. Nishu, do you notice this transition where you are? I think, uh, yes, as Miley said, that this is a very difficult question. So I think transition is something that we as a professional and even the patients, we, we, we all have to contribute in this transition because only the professionals can, can't contribute. So once, uh, as I come back to the question that you asked related to repurposement, because it is natural. We have a very less resources, even in India or in Asia, if you see the low middle income countries, 
there is a very lack and very few resources, very limited doctors. And we shifted all those resources to the medical care, which is already required that time of pandemic. I mean, there was very less oxygen. Everything was very less. So just forget about, uh, you know, those vulnerable populations, spinal cord injury and all. That was a time when we told our patients to go back to your home. And because we need all these beds and we have seen a patients and their caregivers, there were a lot of stress they were facing that, ma'am, we have not done any goals completed. We we have not uh, chatted properly with our psychologists, physiatrists, nurses. We have even not done the proper bladder care routine. We have not learned yet. So now you're saying that we have to go back. So now you just imagine the stress and situation that time that as a care providers we were facing and the professionals and the uh, caregivers and individuals were facing. So that time we were trying to, uh, you know, shift that gap. And that was transition that uh, that time we tried to make a gap is related to telemedicine, telerehabilitation. That was a day that we really need to convince all those patients and caregivers related to the importance of telemedicine. Because that time, if you see as a professional, it is really difficult to tell patient that you will be treated virtually. Because at time you need a person to assess physically, you give a touch to patient to treat, you know, until and unless you're not giving touch related to therapy or assessment, patient or caregivers, they don't feel that they are getting any treatment. So this is something, a transition that we try to bring and we used to call the caregivers. Every day we do the follow-ups to all those patients and caregivers. Are you feeling all right? What services you need? Do you need a peer counselor? Do you need a psychologist? Do you need an occupational therapist, physiotherapist? Do you need a bladder care? If you have a bed sore, are you aware about how to do a dressing? So all these things we need to find it out and we need to track all those patients who require a proper care. So I think... Uh, I must say that we have not given the 100% thing to the patient during the pandemic, but yes, we have reached almost 50% patients and we are able to provide all those services to the caregivers. So I think right now, if I talk about present situation, the situation is getting normal now. People are still believing on the you know, the in-person examination as well and the tele-rehabilitation and telemedicine facilities as well. Now the transition is this, that it has become a regular service. Even the clinicians are also believing we are getting a very good compliance from the professionals as well. They are ready to give their, you know, separate time to the service. Because if you see, we have a lot of heavy OPDs related to physicians. They have a, a planned surgeries. So, you know, now they are giving a proper slot to their patients that yes, now we can see the patients virtually. And even the patients are also believing on the service. Like if we are not able to come today, we can meet the doctor or the concerned caregiver virtually. So I think this is a transition that we have come, you know, today at this date. So I think this is an amazing thing. Uh, like we have taken pandemic as an opportunity for us as well and for the patient as well. So this is a one thing that we have to believe on this wholeheartedly. So that is the thing I would like to say. Thank you. Yeah, I think both of you paint such an important picture about each of your experiences and then the people that you've been caring for and interacting with and, you know, each of your, where you, where you guys are practicing, you know, your experience, Melly, in Latin America, your experience, Nishu, in Asia, and, you know, of course, David and I, our experience here in the United States has been very different, and I think 
you know, sometimes we can get wrapped into what our specific experience was. And so one of the questions we wanted to ask him was really, why was it so important for you guys to make this study international and get the perspectives of people all over the world? And really, what were some of the differences that you found based on the survey results in this population of people living with spinal cord injuries just all over the world? Okay, so um, actually, I think it, it was very important, just what you said, to have different perspectives that um, actually each one of us is like immersed in our own world and think that everything is like the, the thing that we are living in. And everybody is having a lot of different experiences and we can have and enrich our practices if we, if we know what the other person is doing from their from their point of view and there are other re uh, realities. Uh, so I think that it gave, it gave us a lot of information about what was happening in other countries. And we know that information is power. We know that if we have information, we can do a lot of things uh, a little bit better. And also one of the things that we saw, especially in physicians was, uh, and, and also professionals, healthcare professionals was like, everybody was in fear. Uh, because nobody knew what, what was going on and how to treat it and what was going to uh, what was going to happen. So I think that uh, this this line of work doing this uh, worldwide actually gave us a little bit more hope on what was going on uh, all over the world. We're not the only one who's having this this problem and everybody is, is having different solutions. So we can all kind of do something together. So if we had the information that um, that they, this was happening in Latin America and the results were this, and this was happening in India and the results were that, and also in Europe. So if we have all that information, actually we can do a little bit more uh, inform, do a little bit more, I think, responses or, or try to work a little bit more informed and have a little bit more, less uh, fear once we have some patients with COVID and, and, and have, I think, more security in what we do. How about you, Nishu? How, how, how about your experience coming from Asia? I think as Melina said that information is a power. I, I must believe on this because I was not the part of the first survey, but I was very much interested to be the part of second survey, uh, the follow-up survey. And the main reason behind this, just the exchange of information. What we are doing in India is something else. So I think this is really much needed, uh, whether it is related to um, evidence-based practices or the one-to-one -one information. And when I just introduce uh, to th this group related to the follow-up, survey of 2020, I was really interested because I gained very much information related to telemedicine, repurposement of beds, that how the people think about training perspective in telemedicine, then the strength and limitations of telemedicine that people is doing in different countries. So I think I have received, uh, you know, a lot of information. And, uh, and I, I believe in this thing that education is the vaccine of everything. So when you get educate yourself, you can educate your patients as well. So I think this is the most important criteria of anything that you want to implement. So with the 2020 study, one of the results I found 
quite interesting. And I would not have hypothesized to see this finding before COVID, but the low testing in the United States, despite the availability of tests and the relatively high GDP we have here. So can I ask you guys, were there any results from the 2021 study that you found surprising or interesting or that you weren't expecting? Related testing, you ask? No, just any results from the 21 study that you found surprising or that you were not hypothesizing? Well, I think that actually, I think all of the devices that we use, well, actually, I, don't, I think that was something that we expected is like the resources that we have. We actually know that uh, we didn't have that many tests in low-income countries. That was something that we, we had expected. Uh, actually, that, that was something that we saw. And actually, the other thing that we saw is it was the, res the, the material resources for physicians when they have to, like the mask and everything that they have to do uh, and wear uh, to treat these patients. And also, I think that some of the things that we actually didn't, I, I actually didn't expect that it was that actually people starting using a lot more telemedicine that I was actually thinking about because we are not used to do, to use that technology. Actually, in low income in low income countries, actually we don't use tele, telemedicine because patients do not have uh, internet connections. Uh, they live like far away from from big cities. So uh, we actually had to be really creative in using telemedicine. So I think that. To, to have a, low, a lot of people using telemedicine in low-income countries was something that it was like unexpected, I think. Nishu, any surprising results for you? I think the most surprising result for me that I didn't expect, it was related to the use of telemedicine. Honestly, it was really very hard to believe that in all over the world people are using telemedicine technology it's so amazingly so you know this just because of pandemic they are using so we can think even without pandemic as well because this is a part of care that we should provide to the such vulnerable populations like SCI individuals now people are using as a alternative delivery of care uh, uh, telemedicine. So now there is telepsychology, telepeer counseling, you know, teleyoga, teleoccupational, telephysio. Now you just amazing uh, see a lot of evidence practice uh, going on related to telemedicine. So we have a lot of subgroups happening in this. So I think that was amazing results that we have a lot of people who are interested, professionals are interested, but yes, there are few limitations because they are not aware how to use it properly, how to implement it properly. So I think we have a good results, but yes, the implementation part where it is lacking, we need to still find it out. So. Thank you both so much. So one last question kind of for each of you. If a researcher, a physician, the next person gets this paper from you, what would be the follow-up question that you would want them to ask? The last question to kind of read off the last two studies that you both had. Okay, I think that the future directions of these studies actually like, well, what is going on right now? Actually, we have a lot of information right now. And I think 
our fear is very, very, very low now that we have more information. Actually, I think that vaccines are gave us hope and now we can we can work more uh, freely and actually i think one of the things that we should start studying is what what happens right now i mean what happens what happened with all those people that with spinal cord injury people that didn't get uh, rehabilitation at proper time because they did the facilities were shut down what what happened with the people that actually didn't get vaccinated what happened with the people that actually got vaccinated? I think that now we, as we go along, this this doesn't stop, and we need to keep on studying actually this what what is going on with COVID nineteen and all of the factors that go around the world. We know that um, actually one of the things that David was saying that uh, got his attention about. Uh, United States not using that many testing. And I think that one of the things that we have to keep keep in mind is the cultural thing uh, that we all we actually all, all know because we know that some countries do not accept vaccines as other as other countries. We know that some countries are actually desperate to get vaccines and we, we can uh, I mean Latin Americans actually think, okay, we needed the vaccines. Uh, we all wanted to get vaccinated. We don't think that, it, uh, we know that that's our hope and that's the, the things that we need to, 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 get, to get better. So, and we had another countries that actually got like these uh, manifestations that they didn't want to get vaccinated. And actually a lot of people don't get vaccinated and we respect all the, all the opinions and beliefs. And I think the cultural issues are very important. So I think one of the things that we have to study as well is what, what, what happened. I think what happened with people that got vaccinated and people who didn't get vaccinated, and especially those people that had spinal cord injuries. So I think that could be a good uh, follow-up of these studies. Nishu, how about you? I think adding to the Melly's words, uh, I will uh, definitely work on basically the challenges. So I really like challenges. I would like to know what are the challenges that professionals are facing, whether they are delivering the care in person or whether they are delivering the care virtual. So these two briefs, I would like to know from the professional's side. And again, what, what is the compliance rate uh, from the consumer perspective towards their pro provider? healthcare provider. For example, if I'm interested in giving the care to the patient, whether the patient is okay in receiving that care or not. So that is something that I would like to, you know, work on the patient or health care provider relationship related to this. And the second most important question is whether professionals are interested in transforming this, you know, this transformation, whether it is just for the COVID pandemic that they would like to use telehealth or telemedicine, or they would like to continue that care in their practice in future. So this, these are a very important question because once a physician or the surgeon involves in surgery, they do not have enough time to give for this telemedicine. But yes, pandemic situation is different. They are providing all the care, which is really important for the patient. But yes, as a professional, as a person, we need to sit together and find it out the appropriate strategy or appropriate care to deliver such type of care to the patients in future because we cannot pay, wait for second pandemic. 
or the coming pandemic. We have to make it as a future practice for our patients and professionals. So I think in this arena, I will definitely would like to work with all the professionals, whether they are surgeon, physiatrist, therapist. So I think we need to work on detailing strategy for this. Thank you both so much for being here. This has been a lot of fun and our first episode with having two guests, which is also a lot of fun and our first international episode as well. So thank you both so much for your time. I hope everyone enjoyed listening. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the first season of SCI Science Perspectives brought to you by the American Spinal Injury Association paper discussed in this episode was chosen based on the recommendations of Asia's America's Committee. The podcast is made possible by the leadership of Dr. Suzanne Groh, your producers and hosts, David McMillan and Marla Pitriello, our editor, Abby Fox, and Asia's front off. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, contact us at Perspectives Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs>